Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Pot of the Damned. Before we dive into our three fabulous films today, I thought I'd let you know about one of my picks for episode 31, where you get to pick what film we are going to be talking about on October 31st by voting on our website, potofthedamned.com. I have picked Ready or Not. I haven't seen this film before. Oh, by the way, it's Jean. I don't know if you all knew this. I haven't seen this film before. It looks so interesting. I love the trailer. I've heard great things about it. And the cast excites me to no end. And when I just did a bit of a Google search, it fits in the realm. So I thought, why not whack it on my list? It's something I really want to watch. So maybe you can vote for it on our website, potofthedam.com. And it could be the film that we review for our 31st episode to cap off our 31 days of horror. Why not check it out and place your vote today? This episode of Pot of the Jammed is rated S for spoilers. You've been warned. Dear Lord, we thank you for our dear friends, our wonderful home, but most of all, Father, we thank you for bringing us together as a family. Amen. Amen. When I came here, I was a stranger. But I've never felt more at home anywhere in my life. I'm so glad you're here. We've got a lot to talk about. So much to celebrate tonight. Hey, pardon me, sir. I think you have the wrong car. We have to talk, honey. About what? About what is happening to our family. I'm taking care of it. You've been acting so suspicious of our hospitality. Well, Jesus. The only chance we have is if all three of us go crazy on this guy. Who is that? Maybe she can help us. We're here! Help us! We're in here! It isn't our house anymore. Yeah. Doesn't feel safe here. Don't worry. He's not allowed to touch you. He knows what you're here for. He listens to me. He's your father now and you'll respect him. We don't see you for two years and then all of a sudden we get invited to this lavish dinner. Don't tell me that this is normal. I've never seen a case like this before. 23 identities live in Kevin's body. Who are you? Welcome to Pod of the Damned. And today we are going to be playing mind games with you as we talk about psychological horror. So this is a this is quite a large genre of um of horror, a subgenre of horror, I would say. We we had quite a lot of movies to choose from. Um and yeah, so let's jump into it. I'm Em. I'm Jane. And I'm Shori. And this is going to be an interesting one. I, I, I have think to... I was excited for, I didn't realise how excited I was for psychological horror until mm. watching these films. Like, yeah. it, it, it gets you in such a different way. And, and the diversity of the films is so different. Like, I loved it. Yeah. And, and and oh, I just absolutely loved it. Giving a bit of proviso as well, just for the start. So uh, this episode is a little bit mixed and match because we're all still in lockdown, but we've had some internet problems yes. um, mm-hmm. in, in streaming scenarios. So just like in previous episodes when it's been a little missed out, um, Shory's only been able to watch one. And Em and I have been able, uh, Em's watched all of them and I've only been able to watch two. So it creates <laughs> so between a nice, the three of us. <laughs> yeah, this is why we spread covered. the love. <laughs> yeah, this exactly. This why we spread the love. But, oh, my God, psychological, oh, my God, they're just great. You know I, I do I, love about, yeah. oh, you, I, you, I love about psychological too is that it's it's such a broad definition. So the movies yes. are also very different too. And yes, it's like agree. it could be one person playing mind games. It could be someone's a serial killer, but they're a bit more psychological, like, Yep. There's so many movies that we've already seen too that could play into this. Like Midsummer is a little bit of a psychological horror as well. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. We talked about Henry's portrait of a serial killer briefly. That could be a psychological horror. Yeah. Um, yep. Nightmare on Elm Street could be a psychological horror because it's all based in your dreams. Yeah. Like it's there is yeah. it's such a broad term. Absolutely. And I found, I think probably for the same reason, I found that when, you know, when we were looking for psychological horrors, 
there's so many other genres other than horror that has psychological as a subgenre. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was also like, oh wow, like the whole just just the just the psychological kind of element or or you know um, tool that's used in storytelling pops up in a lot of different genres. Um, yeah. So we had, yeah, we we it was an interesting task trying to I, narrow down this list, but I think we've we've got some good ones. I want I someone to make a psychological happy. comedy. I, I just I don't know about a psychological comedy, and I want someone to make one now. Okay, oh for people listening to this, if you can think of an example of a psychological comedy, Tell please, us. yeah, mm. at us on the socials because that's got my brain ticking now. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, it's, I can't it's think also of it's terrifying me a little bit because I feel like it would be very black humor, and of course, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. but that but that can be both brilliant and terrifying in a completely different way. Mm. Like, yep. and that's one of the things I love about like. The writing is one thing, the acting is another, and oh, but but as well, like I think something that's really amazing with all of these films is the soundscape. Yes, that yep, gets absolutely. that gets brought into it, and how much that just that just really rides along with it. I think the score you. becomes incredibly important as a storytelling device in psychological horror because mm-hmm. it, it, there's it's used so well to sort of build tension and to um, um, to um, to signpost when something is going to happen before it happens, you get a sense that that something is not quite right. Um, mm-hmm. Just just go just taking one step back slightly. I just Do thought, it. you know what, an amazing podcast idea would be like unlikely genre pairings because I'm just thinking Ooh, like good double psychological features. comedy, unlikely double features. Yeah. Like, oh no, but even within the same film, like unlikely like genre splicing, like. Psychological yeah. horror, or uh, now I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. I think we're going to have to absolutely <laughs> add that to the list, though. Like, mm. I like the idea of that. I think you're spot on. Let's just mm-hmm. get through these 31 days of horror. Like, like yes, <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. Yes. All right. So let's jump into our first film. Now, Dean, this was your now, pick, so yeah, I'm going to let you. This was my pick, but what makes me really excited about this one is this was one that I hadn't seen yet. Mm. I was really, um, we're getting down to the pointy end of the uh, podcast. And it's really hard for us to narrow everything down. So we kind of have sat down in conversations and really tried to stream out the rest of the ep- um, what we're going to be watching for the episodes because there's so much that we want to see. And with Psychological Horror, there was a whole bunch that I hadn't seen. And I know in past episodes I've touched on things that are familiar or seen before, so I wanted to go in a different direction. And I picked a mm-hmm. film with a director and an actor that I love and also have really wanted to watch and never gotten around to. And that film is Split. No, and just so everyone knows, it's not about bowling because I was looking when I was looking for Split on the streaming services. A movie came up. I'm like, that's a bowling movie. Really? <laughs> oh god! <laughs> oh wow! It looked like one of those like like kingpin like sort of rom- you know, but a romantic comedy set in a bowling alley. I was like, okay. I, I should have watched that and just sort of like chimed in every now and then with a yes. little bit of. And so, then they did. And then they got the seven ten split. And <laughs> oh my god! I mean, I just thought you were doing your usual dad pun. No, joke no, no. Legitimately. Like, Legitimately, this was a movie that I found on. on so, for uh, those TV, listening, we are talking about the M Night Shyamalan movie, yes, not yes. the bowling classic that everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All, All right. right, so the, the IMDb. Now, oh, yep. Heads up as well that Shory has. This is the one that you haven't seen, isn't it? I'm. I'm happy for you guys to go and spoil. Spoil. No, we're just giving everyone. Yeah, but I have read about it. I know what happens in it. I did well, when it first came out. Episode, of course. Yeah. But giving everyone that heads up. So when Shori says things, um, it, which it, Shori definitely will, remember Shori hasn't actually seen it. Yep. And so, so for disregard people, so- Shori's opinion. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's just a general that's piece of general advice. Good that's got, that's yeah. nothing to do with this episode. <laughs> yeah. I was going to yeah. say that um, for the people who've gotten this far in the show who don't like my voice, you're welcome. <laughs> 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 All right. All right so- Three girls are kidnapped by a man with a diagnosed 23 distinct personalities. They must try to escape for the apparent emergence of a frightful new 24th. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. This is, this is a great film. Um, I had seen this before and I rewatched it for this episode because I just love it so much. Um, I know that some people, some people don't like Shyamalan's stuff. I know that some people say they, they think that he... He, he started out with The Sixth Sense and then he just kind of made a career out of um, shock twists at the end of his films. Mm-hmm. I personally disagree. I, I really enjoy his stuff and I think they're very, I think they're very nuanced and 
yeah. provoking. Um, and, and this one in particular, and I'm going to yeah. do like double spoiler warnings. So there's going to be spoiler warnings from the, for the film, but also something I wanted to talk about right from the outset is that this film also, for those who are not aware, is part of a series of films. And it wasn't necessarily made clear when this film came out, came out that it was going to be part of a series. Mm-hmm. Um, watching it, if you've seen the M. Night Shyamalan film Unbreakable with, um, oh, fuck me. Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson. Jesus Christ. Um, with Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. You know, just these random actors that no one's ever yeah, heard yeah. of. That's why I couldn't think of their names. Um, if anyone's seen that, there is a scene... Um, in Unbreakable where a guy is standing and waiting for a train, and this is such a nerdy, like, tiny little reference, the score changes and the score is the score from Unbreakable. And oh my it's God. telling you that it's set in the same universe, mm-hmm. right? I went to the movies and saw this film with Elroy, who loves Unbreakable, and he shit himself during that scene at the train when the guy's waiting for the train. He's, like, elbowing me vigorously in, in the cinema, and I'm like, I know, I heard it. It's a Calm down. Calm down. I didn't know this, and this is, oh, this okay. excites me so This much. is why Bruce Willis shows up at the end of the film. Because he is yeah. set in the same world, and apparently yeah. the film is going. The series is going to end with a film called Glass, which has already come out. End. Oh, which it's has already come, come out. out. Yeah, that's already yeah. come out. And it. it oh, oh god! Of course, I, I've seen I it. I don't yet. know. I haven't seen it, but supposedly it tanked miserably. Like it was okay. I it, really it enjoyed bombed. Glass. I, I thought Glass was a great mm. film. Um, but Glass is about. So it's it's essentially about super. It's a trilogy. Super villains. Mm. Um, so then why didn't yeah. Samuel L. Jackson show up at the end of Split to recruit him to the Avengers initiative? Because <laughs> it would have been question. <laughs> Good question. But, yeah, that's a bit of um, background um, for those who haven't seen this film. And, and, that, and, and that's me. Like, I've seen it, but I didn't well, know all of that And another well. nerdy bit, which I didn't get because I don't, I'm not super into comics. So at the end of the film they talk about how the, the guy is being referred to as the Horde because he has so many personalities within him. And Elroy was telling me that in the comic book the, there's a villain known as the Horde. And he was like, that's that's what that is referencing. Wow. I was like, mm. that's pretty cool. That's so, so great. There's a bit of nerdy background. Just to really nerd out you. for a second, Dean, he sounds a lot like Legion. I mean, yes, anyone with Marvel, except that he's better. Like Legion has been written so poorly by so many people over so many times <laughs> yep. that, that, like, I think now in the past 10 years, um, writers are handling Legion really brilliantly. But, yeah. yeah. Anyway. I'll, anyway, back, back, to, to, back to movie. Yeah, yeah, back to movie. I mean, I I didn't know all that broad. I, I think I had a rough idea, but I had no real idea. Mm. I, I find it really interesting. So I still haven't seen Sixth Sense, just throwing back to what you were saying at the start. I, what? Look, because... Not only I don't think I can continue this show. Because everyone spoiled that ending. Yeah, okay. That I, I need to, I'm like, I want to watch it, but I mm. need to watch it when I'm not forcibly thinking about that the whole time. Sure, Fair. sure. So I need to put myself in a different headspace. But it's that interesting thing where you say, like, people don't like it because of this twist here and there. I mean, I looking at Split and the way in which the tone is set the the way it's from every part of it is just mm. amazing. Like, this is acted I've, brilliantly. I agree. I, the, oh, James McAvoy, script, like... Jesus, incredible. Oh, it's, it's brilliant. Like, I think he's so very underrated brilliant. anyway. But yeah. what I would say is every single, like it's a very small cast and mm. all of them are perfect. Mm. They all, in my opinion, in this film, not one lets any part element down. Mm. It's They're all so good at what they do. And it's Absolutely. a film that starts straight out of the gate. It takes mm. you right there. It, it, what I love as well about psychological tools is the point of view perspective that they give you. And with this film especially, like normally we're really sitting with one character, but through the sound and the cinematography, every time we're shifting to a different character's um, effort and tone Mm. or narrative, you really do shift with it completely and empathise with them, which Mm. for me was really fantastic. I mean, there's a lot going on here. Basically, you've got three girls that have been kidnapped and one of them, uh, you know, is... They don't really like the girl. They're not really mm. friends with her. She was the only girl they had to invite her because she was the only one that wouldn't have been invited, you know. Mm. And and basically at the start, the dad of the daughter that his birth, uh, birthday it is is like, oh, come on, you can't just leave her. We'll drive you home. And mm. then they all get in the car. And and the, and the two girls in the back seat are perfectly played throughout the whole film. Mm. They're the the that's kind of 
person that you would be at that age, the yes. disassociation you have, and the fact that you wouldn't actually, you know, you wouldn't think the way that you do. But mm. the girl who's sitting in the front seat that's just not quite connected in the right way to the things mm. that they are, which we find out later on in the film mm. why and what that means, is is switched on differently and she notices something's yeah. not okay. And then when someone gets in the car, um, I'm not going to mm. recount the whole film, but when the, mm -hmm. the, for that beginning and when she immediately realises that this is not the father and this is not what's happening and, and already there's this great relationship between those two characters because it's a known situation that they're a part of. Mm. We, that, that this is a dangerous situation that they're in. The other two girls mm. don't realise. And it's so interesting to me the way in which this plays out. So what we find out, is that uh, the third girl in the car who is uh, is the one who is our major point of view reference for the film was not meant to be there, wasn't mm. the intended target of the kidnapping and wasn't a part of this ritual that's going to be occurring mm. for the beast that will be coming out. And, uh, but, and it's only because she's there that circumstances change completely mm. and change in a way that's possibly not for the better but for a way where you know, because of all the different personalities that are coming out of James McAvoy's character, Kevin, there's something else able to emerge. Mm. There's so many levels to this it and offers, I just love that. Yeah, so I does Black Phillip come and rescue her? I was about to say, I didn't realise until partway yeah. through that that's that actress. Anya Taylor-Joy from The Witch, yeah. yeah. She's yeah. brilliant. She She's a great brilliant. actress. And, and I, I love just going back to that car scene. Even, even right from the beginning you see that this character in the front has some kind of right from the get go. There's there's a some kind of mutual understanding between her and Kevin, yeah. even to the point that she immediately, in seeing him, recognizes that there's ill intent and that something is wrong. And they yeah. look at each other, and she knows. Even when the other two girls realize it's not their dad, they're still just like, "Hurt, lol, dude, I think you're in the wrong car." They still don't yeah. get it. But the other girl immediately is like. I see that something's going on and she is the one throughout the film who manages to establish a connection with Kevin and with all the different personalities. I will say um, there's so many different personalities. Kevin is the um, main, well, the the, the person. Sort of original, person? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the original person that the personalities have all stemmed from because yeah, I yeah. can't remember all their names. <laughs> no, and, and it is that, that typical sort of dissociative identity disorder scenario where whereby he has experienced a trauma at a young age and so his personality has split into different sections yeah. to be able to cope with the trauma like there are certain personalities that remember the trauma there are some that don't there are some that have reverted to a different state so you know there's this really uh militant Dennis who's this really kind of militant straight-laced kind of personality there's like a woman but also Dennis Trisha. likes to and there's this whole the way the way in which the layers of the story are revealed, I think, is what's really wonderful as well. This scripting is so great, you know. Mm -hmm. So Dennis is the one who's kidnapped the girls, and yes. then there's Patricia and Dennis are talking, and the girls think someone else is there. And and the way in which they constantly reveal mm -hmm. um, through different uh, James McAvoy coming in as a different personality, stepping mm -hmm. in at both physically and mentally. Like there's mm -hmm. the, the the beauty of this um, the disorder that being discussed and created is the fact that the body chemistry of the individual also alters and changes. So it's not just yeah. about one thing. We even find out at another point, one of the alters is um, diabetic and none of the rest are. And so there's yeah. so much, there's so much going on here. But the which way in which it's fascinating. Oh, so much. And the way in which each layer is revealed about them, about who they are, about what's happening through the perspective of these girls who are trapped in a room. And even from the very first shot, when the girls are all in the room together and there are only two beds, bunk beds, and one is through two beds, sorry, and one is on one and two are on the other. Even at that point, I didn't go, oh my God, there was only meant to be two girls here until it's verbally said. But it also speaks to the relationship of the characters mm -hmm. where one is like, I am going to, I'm alone in this. And the other two are really depending on one another. Yes, no, I, I agree. And I, I also didn't even, didn't pick up on the fact that there were only two beds there and it was never intended for her to be there in the first place. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's the, like you say, the dynamic between the characters and the way, the way that's set up right from the beginning is absolutely brilliant. Um, and I know we've said it already, but I just can't get over how amazing the performance by James McAvoy is in this. So like, good. There's a point in... Um, when he goes to see his psychologist, oh, that's what I was going to say. Even just 
the idea that not only okay, so not only is there the idea that different that different personalities in him can have different physiological manifest differently physiologically and even physically um and i'm so curious to know whether this is a a real thing in reality like i really want to um look into this but um and and when you watch it you'll discover that becomes really important to the film this theory and idea that the different personalities can have different physical attributes um but also just the idea that the different personalities can conspire against one another like because the the premise is is that Barry, who is one personality that usually has the light and controls who has the light, which is this metaphor for how a personality um, manifests, has somehow been overthrown by Patricia and Dennis, who are um, in cahoots with one of the personalities that is a a nine-year-old boy and he controls the light and they've convinced him to let them be in the light and they'll protect him. If, if he lets them be in the light. So he he lets them be in the light and they're essentially planning um, very evil things. So they, they're aware of a 24th personality that is emerging that's known as the Beast. And it's, it's like between the personalities, it's like this community. They've created this mythology around yeah. the Beast, this 24th personality and what it's going to do, how it's going to transcend human abilities and the beast believes that there's no need for this kind of life that we live anymore. Um, and um, there's a, yeah, there's a scene when he is at the psychologist and we, we so understand, good. yeah, we understand that it's Dennis pretending to be Barry and he's sitting there talking to the psychologist and she's gradually coaxing him out and convincing him to open up and admit that this is Dennis, not Barry. And when he finally is convinced and he switches into Dennis mode, it is watching James McAvoy just in this subtle way change his facial expression and his body posture and his voice. It is like, holy shit, it is a different person. And it's un- undeniable that you're talking to a different person. And I'm just yeah. like, that is incredible. It's brilliantly done. And, I mean, I'll be honest, I could spend another hour and a half talking about every moment of this film. That's yeah. not what we're here to do and that's not what we want to do. <laughs> the thing yes. about it, like the thing with it, with the layers that are constantly revealed and the different elements both visually and scripturally that yeah. are occurring, basically throughout the girls keep trying to escape and every time that happens, they're separated from each other mm. and to the point that they're then all separate now. And But there's this one that's gone through trauma in her life and she's mm. the one that was sitting in the front of the car. And through flashbacks of her in her experience, like even at the beginning when it looks like one of the girls is going to be dragged out and we assume is going to be uh, molested um, mm. and she grabs her and just says, pee on yourself. And yes. and I and I'm I and I'll be honest. The thing for me with this film, I was sitting here watching it with Chris, my housemate, and while I I spent a good forty five minutes, the last forty five minutes of the film, physically sitting upright, mm-hmm. I was so I was literally on the edge of my seat for mm. forty five minutes, not mm. in because I was so engrossed in the way this story had been told, mm. and and it like I was saying with the different onions of the narratives about. Kevin and the altars is revealed both through the psychologist, through the visuals around us, through the relationship that she is having with the different altars and and also and everyone else. Plus the different parts of the visual we're seeing. Mm. This film constantly wraps layer around layer around layer, right till the very last shot. This yeah. is what's amazing yeah. about it. It's they figured out a story and they keep peeling little bits away that connect yeah. back to other parts. And what that's what I love about it. They never give it fully. And, and well, and I think in in terms of the the, the psychological um, aspect of this this film, like what makes this a psychological horror, I think even on that level, it's quite clever and it's quite layered because at at you know on a surface level. Sorry, I think my gin delivery is just arrived. Hey, <laughs> happy days. Right. Um, so I Keep think going. even I think even on a surface level, you know, this film, you you think, okay, so it's about uh, someone who, who who has dissociative identity disorder. So yes, I see how it's a psychological horror. But then once you start watching it and you see these layers being peeled back, you realize that the psychological element is really about how we deal with trauma, and that exactly. that, that is what the film is about. It's about living with pain and dealing with trauma. And it's really sad to realize that at different points throughout the film as the main character 
um, employs different strategies to, to deal with Kevin and to get out, she's employing these strategies because she has learnt how to deal with an abuser. She, she yeah. knows very well and, and we discover through flashbacks that she has she's, she's experienced trauma and she has learned how to deal with an abuser and how to deal yeah. with trauma. So that's how, she, that's how she, and that's why she connects with him right from the start is that she's, and, she's been to that dark place. So she, yeah. she knows. And it's absolutely amazing because we also see the different ways in which the altar deal in, interact with her in mm-hmm. regard to it and, and how this is her lived this is what she does every day. So this experience that's new for the other characters, the way in yep. which she she carries herself, handles mm. herself, communicates things, is all the exact, mm. like this is her lived experience constantly. And, and, it's, what, and it's, yeah, I was just going to say, it's, I mean, it's ultimately what saves her in the end. Exactly. Because, and, and this yeah. is an interesting thing as well where it's another layer. At, the, at first, when I finished watching it at 2 a.m. in the morning, um, like, because I, I, I was just, I can't stop this. I was transfixed. And when I finished watching it, I was like, one of the things that killed me is, is basically what we see towards the end of the film is we, uh, the psychologist doesn't think the beast is real. There's a great thing, transformation. There's a train station, all that different stuff. And it turns out the beast is a real personality mm. that comes through within all of this. And the beast is, is going to kill them all. And the beast does have these superhuman strengths and yeah. and all the mythology that the other characters created is real. Like we discover yeah. the beast can climb up the wall and the beast can can has physical strength that's, you know, insane. And the way James McAvoy portrays this is really fantastic. Like it's really, and yep. what I love about it, it's, it, this is psychological for every character. Like it mm. really, you're jumping from left to right. Mm. And and she's at this bit where she, this is the end for her and she's doing everything she can to stop that from occurring. She's mm. protecting herself as best she can. And it's only when the beast, because throughout the course of the episode, like the, the character of Janice has been saying the girls take off her shirt and things like that. Mm. And when the beast sees underneath her, her, the scars on her body from the trauma that she's had, mm. that is when the beast realises that she isn't pure. Like, the pure are stupid and, that, that mm. you know, they their problem is that they haven't experienced pain like Kevin has, mm. like everyone else has to survive these things, and that's why she is saved. And at mm. first I was really frustrated because I was like, after all this psychological stuff, it's all about the physical nature of it and he just saw the scars and that really pissed me off because mm. also it created this narrative in my brain of I was it was immediately after so I was having a conversation mm-hmm. with myself where I was frustrated because the trauma and especially sexual assault that someone experiences mm. isn't always seen on their physical body but then I realized that relationship and connection um of of linked trauma is something Dennis and Patricia both saw in her the whole time. So mm. it's that narrative as well that the altars see and experience different things that aren't all the same. Mm. So the beast had to find it in a different way. And, and, and that's one of the reasons why they were able to communicate and converse with her in such a massive way because yeah. she isn't like the others. And yeah. they were, and that created this narrative that was honestly, it's just friggin' fantastic. Like I love it. No, it is. I agree. Great film. <laughs> Great film. And the really way, enjoyed I mean, watching it the second time. Yeah, yeah. I oh, just great. Yep. Like, and I, will I say, give it every star I can possibly give. Dean, if you haven't seen Unbreakable, um, I haven't yet. Go back and watch Unbreakable. Unbreakable mm. is a really great film. Unbreakable's um, great. It is, and Bruce Willis. Uh, I adore Bruce Willis in more dramatic roles. Um, I know that he's, you know, really well known for his action movies in the 80s and, and, and 90s Christmas and whatnot, movies, Die Hard. Breakfast. Well, yeah, exactly, at Christmas movies. Um, <laughs> but no, but Bruce Willis in these dramatic roles is absolutely brilliant. So definitely go watch Unbreakable. And and now that you've got this new lens and you oh, understand that mm-hmm. this is in the same world, I think you're really going to enjoy Unbreakable. I cannot wait, but honestly loved it. Oh, yep. just great. Yep. All righty. Uh, next one is Shory's pick. So, Shory, yeah, yeah. you want to introduce this one to us? So, uh, when we talked psychological horror, I picked a couple of other movies that um, unfortunately aren't available anywhere. Mm. <laughs> like, we're not even we're talking not even like to buy on anything, or which is really frustrating because they're both great movies. But um, I picked a movie that when I was a kid, my mum told me this was the scariest movie she's ever seen. And so I picked The Stepfather from 1987, uh, starring everyone's favourite lost character, John Locke. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but uh, after murdering his entire family, a man marries a widow with a teenage daughter in another town and prepares to do it all over again, which is very, very broad of what actually happens. But um, so I Terry mean, O'Quinn, he's, yeah. this is probably, like I know we know Terry O'Quinn from so much. He's a phenomenal character actor. He's great in yeah. Lost. But oh, he's brilliant. Him in this, he is terrifying. And I think, honestly, it's the best role I've ever seen him in. I love wow, him in this. Yeah, I, I think there's a, like, we'll, we'll get into it, but there is a certain scene towards the end where he's setting up for his next family. So he he wants the perfect family. He wants to be the perfect all-American family. Yeah. He And it, when that when it doesn't happen, everything goes pear-shaped for him. He mur- just murders everybody. Instead of just leaving, he just murders everybody. As you do. And, and there's a scene towards the end where he's setting up the next family. Like, he's gone to the next town and he's setting everything up. And then he comes back and he's talking and he he mentions a name and someone goes, hang on, you're this person. Yeah, yeah, and he yeah. just he just stops and he looks into space and he goes, Who am I here? Yeah. And you just see that, <laughs> that snap, and it's just it is such a per- like it's just there are ways that other actors would have done that line. And he just sort of like it's like he's just confused all of a sudden, like, hang on. It's it's almost like a multiple personality thing when you yeah, if you're yeah. talking about split as well, but it's it's just he's just embodying these roles and it's just it's brilliant. But it's it like also he, he like, got lost in his own web for a second. Yeah, exactly. And like I you just know, want to point out so for much. listeners, this is the film that I haven't seen. Yeah, where I'm not gonna be very quiet. But I'm so <laughs> And also because of him as the star of this film, I was like, I don't want to w- watch this in parts. I'm yep. going to just come back to it. And I'm already completely hooked by the way you're describing it. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, the other way I sort of describe this movie is it's a it's a movie that would be played at midday for people in Australia. It's a midday movie that you would have had on Channel 7 with just a bit more violent, I think. I was about to say, like, when I started watching this, literally even just the the score and the opening credits i was like oh my god this has got like direct to tv midday movie written all yeah. over it this 100% sits in the same category as single white female and yep. hand that rocks the cradle which 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 were the two that i remember most prominently see mm-hmm. when i when i started watching this i thought this isn't a great film but <laughs> i really but okay but in saying that but I also really enjoyed it because yeah. I felt because it was really nostalgic because it really is one of those midday films that yep. were, that were always inexplicably way too adult and violent for the kids and teenagers that will undoubtedly be at home because on your sick either, day or on your sick day and they're that was on what your sick watch. day or that you've got a period off school or you're wagging or whatever <laughs> and for me it was usually watching Ricky Lake and Jerry Springer but you could also find yourself <laughs> watching this kind of movie um and it was it was just yeah I, I started watching it thinking oh god this is terrible and by the end I was like I really loved that. I really yeah. enjoyed watching that. That but was. I think it grows on you too. It I does. Think There's something you, you about the, the movie. I'm like. I'm well, a, I think I'm... it's Terry O'Quinn. I actually think it's his. I do. He's amazing because you follow him the whole time. Yeah. And I think that it's. You're right. It starts off like. It started off with like it's almost like a slasher movie. Like you're like, oh, okay. There's a bit of blood mm. and guts everywhere because he's he's moved on to a new family. But then you're watching him embody the role, and you follow him the whole time, mm. and. How like it sounds stupid that I'd loved watching how he covered his steps and he mm. he would build this life for himself and he'd turn up in town he'd have a mustache and yeah, a, yeah, a yeah. wig and then all of a sudden he'd go to another town and he'd be bald with no mustache and yeah. it was just you know I do it, I do it think just it's, worked so well I do think it's him I think it's him that carries mm. the film because in terms of the plot. I think to, I think to begin with, that's why I thought, oh, I don't think I like this because there's just there's nothing to it. There's no explanation. <laughs> it's just like this guy is obsessed with playing happy families and being the yep. perfect dad, and if he can't quite achieve that, he just kills everyone, and then he just goes to another town and finds starts again. a widow yeah. and marries them and starts again. And I was like, really? We're not even. <laughs> there's just no reason. There's no rhyme or reason. But then. As you continue watching the film, you kind of forget about that because he is such a brilliant character actor and it's mm-hmm. just so fascinating to sit there and watch him. He's so watchable. Um, and I really, yeah, I actually really enjoyed just watching him and it did make me feel nostalgic. It made me want to go back and watch 
you know, the hand that rocks the cradle. Yeah. Um, which in hindsight, I wonder if that if that is all I wonder if that's a terrible film or whether I'll go back that, and watch it and from what I remember, that movie holds up to a point and then Ernie Hudson turns up as a uh, mentally challenged young man and it is real bad. Like it is I don't remember that. Off, like I don't offensive. remember that either. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember yeah. that. It's the oh, it's okay. the it's a thing that pops up in a lot of those sort of early '90s movies where there's a character who has some kind of uh, disability or some mm. kind of um, they're a bit slower than everybody, and mm. they're the ones who find out about the person, and no one believes uh, them. Okay. But it's okay. it's Ernie Hudson doing this real like it's you know okay. it's um, if anyone who else has seen the Lawnmower Man, the uh, the really no. terrible movie based on a Stephen King book, it's um, Jeff Fahey at the start of that where he. He's a middle, like you know, a thirty-year-old man who's acting like he's five. Okay. Right. Okay. But it's not. Well, it's not well made, well done. It's offensive. Look, I'm probably going to rewatch it anyway, just because <coughs> of course. I, I want to rewatch it. But but yes, this was definitely one of those films, and I'm kind mm. of surprised that I wasn't already familiar with this one. Um, but yeah, I I liked it, and I did get a laugh out of how um, the the dynamic between him and the stepdaughter because she was such a terrible actor and it was so just <laughs> hammy and over the top, um, but kind of fantastic. And I, I messaged Shori when I was watching this because this always happened in these <laughs> films. There is an obligatory titty shot for yeah. no good reason, somewhere near the end of the film, no need for it, but there yep. it is, titties, just yeah. really, really what, quickly you- and then they're gone. Why do you think as a fourteen-year-old boy we'd watch these midday movies? Because there was always we, a chance. We have had a, a lack of titties though. Because remember at the start there was a lot. I well, feel that was like just, that was just summer party massacre too. But we kept going. Oh, this is the thing with the genre. It's what they're going to do. I like, think summer party massacre too was enough titties that. for the whole podcast. <laughs> like that was. But I, I mean, but the the issue with this story is that understandable when you were a fourteen-year-old boy. But watching it now, I'm like. Those are some sixteen-year-old titties. Like, no, okay. I didn't. Oh, like, I didn't notice that. I'm gonna, yeah, because she's let me just look 16. up how old she was. I know. Let me look at how old she was when she made the movie, though. No, I mean when you were a kid, I totally get. Yeah, it. but it's but like it's because I'm watching it for the first time as an it's adult. Okay, I'm she like, was twenty-four when she filmed the movie. It's okay. <laughs> oh my gosh, she was twenty-four for fuck's sake. Um, but yeah, it's just. It's I know what for, you mean, though. Yeah, for no reason. It, she yeah, it she makes happens no sense. to be in the shower when he's mm-hmm. coming home, and for no reason, we just get a very quick shot of her in the shower, yep. and then yep. it'll cut away. And I'm like, yeah. did we need it makes that? no sense whatsoever. <laughs> no, it <laughs> makes. I reckon that's the um, it's the, for me, it plays like it's the uh, it's going to the ratings board. And they wanted to keep all the gore and stuff in, all the violence and the blood. Mm. So you pop that in there so that it doesn't get a PG rating. It goes to an M and then you can have all the blood yeah. and stuff. Right. You know, because okay. they go, that well, oh, yeah. Makes, but, uh, hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Because we, yeah. when you're dealing with, especially with the American MPAA, they don't care about violence. But if you show a breast, it bumps your rating up. And they, they really are, ooh, sex stuff. Oh, I don't know about that. Funny, but you can, funny, show, you yeah. can show blood and guts. I mean, wow. oh yeah, but American the American American censorship is like that. It's ridiculous. They're so <laughs> puritanical when it comes to sex. But sure, we can have people disemboweling each other yeah. and it no problem at all. Funny story about censorship. Um uh so the Hades Code, I think it's called. The the old censorship code in the mm-hmm. States is very, very famous. It is the the Hades Code, I think. Um when that was first developed, um it was very, very restricted in terms of what you could show in films. And Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho is the mm-hmm. first film ever to show a toilet because yep. it was you weren't allowed, according to the Hayes Code, to show a toilet. And he convinced them to allow him to do that because and he he, need, he wanted to show a toilet for a very important scene. So mm-hmm. just a funny little tidbit about censorship. Uh- I use that in trivia all the time and no one ever ah. thinks it's the toilet, yeah. ever. They never ah. think it's the toilet. They're always like, oh, it's that there was a naked woman in the shower and I'm like, no, it wasn't that. That was uh, hey, fine. For another another trivia idea for you Hit me. is, and we can edit this out so that no, people, I'll just know, it. So that <laughs> people don't know the answer. recording in the past, so it'll be fine. Well, um, you should have a question about hentai and where tentacle porn, because tentacle porn is hentai, where okay. tentacle porn came from. Where did tentacle porn come from? It's not from? Japan, I'm guessing. Why no idiot no 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 I mean sorry. Oh. What I mean is why 
why is tentacle like do you know what I mean like where did it come from um and it because in a similar vein, oh, where did it evolve from how like, did where it did evolve it, what where's because, its origins because it's a similar thing um hentai emerged because Japanese censorship laws were so strict you couldn't show a penis um in anime wow. and so this guy this the the pioneering the king of hentai um, got around it by um, There's a title. Create, yeah, creating these <laughs> these kind of human-esque beasts that had a tentacle oh instead God. of a penis. And now we have an entire incredible subgenre of anima- anime known as hentai. And that's where wow. it came from because they oh, actually wow. show a penis. Oh, my God, I love it. Yeah. I love both penises and tentacle porn, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do well in Japan because there's a lot of, a lot of <laughs> yeah, um, mm. yeah. So stepfather, great. Yes, it's oh, it's and great film. You know, yeah, it, it is a it's a lifetime movie as the what the American channels would have, but it's yeah. it's just that it's almost like the the next step up. I think the performance and it's just Terry O'Quinn. It's all just Terry O'Quinn who just. Bumps it up I'm to gonna, that next I'm level. I admit, I haven't seen him in many things at all. Um, You'd be surprised. He's been in a lot. I know you say, yeah. I mean, Lost, he was Well, I don't feel like I've me, seen him in anything. Yeah. If you actually look at his listing, you will have seen him in a lot. But for me, okay. he's, I, I, the, the thing that for me really formed him as an amazing actor, which I think is odd, is Alias. He's, he was a, um, oh, a, one of the right. many characters in Alias. And it's just the way he commands himself. And I mean, also, like, it went, and that was by the same producer as um, who was doing Lost. And that's when he was like, hey, Terry, be great as this character. And and mm-hmm. even if you if you look at interviews and read stuff about the way his character evolved in Lost, especially in the first season, he was literally told, you'll just be in these two scenes for the pilot. We've got this story we're going to tell. Oh. And, and but they are still two of the most memorable scenes in what is an mm-hmm. amazing pilot. You know, he's, he's mm, just yeah. incredibly skilled, incredibly but, skilled at, at being able to, the layers he shows with his ability to perform. And I haven't seen Stepfather yet, and, and you guys have just made me excited too. Gosh, he's to been in a lot of TV movies. A like, lot. So also, I, I've just, I'm just looking through his, yeah. Wow, but he's okay. also in the X Files in the se- series, and yes. he's also in the movie as well as a different character. Yes, like I just saw been, that. He's been in plenty of stuff you would have seen. Oh, for the he's love of very, God, he's, he's, he's so in a TV good. movie called Sexual Advances. I mean, you can yeah. just imagine. You can just <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> you can just imagine. All I can picture oh, is some Lord. some young girl sitting there and Terry O'Quinn putting his hand on her thigh, and no, that's I all I, need, I, that's all I can not. think. I need to, I need to click on it. No. I need to know. <laughs> what this is about. I, think it was. I was going to say do it, but I was like, you're going to beat me to it. You're going to click on it. So oh, now, of what's the plot Listen, of sexual advances? Okay, it's exactly what you would think it is for for like a midday movie that's made in the midday early movie, 90s. yeah, hmm. early nineties. Sexual Advances stars Stephanie Zimbalist as Paula Pratt, a very happily married woman and bright promotion manager who finds herself the victim of a calculated management power play involving sexual harassment. It's exactly what it sounds like. Terry yeah, exactly with what, hand on her thigh. what you would imagine. That's it. That's the tweet. That's yep. that's that's it. Well, anyway, Stepfather <laughs> was fantastic. Now, um, I will and say speaking there of is, sequels. Well, there is yeah. a sequel. Is it and shit? the sequel is very good. Oh, okay. I don't. Okay. I think is it's it him again, or is it another actor? It's, it's Terry O'Quinn again. again. Now there is a third one. Okay. And Terry O'Quinn didn't want to come back, so they said the stepfather got uh, plastic surgery and turned into somebody else. <laughs> yep. <laughs> there is a remake. Yes, I saw that. Which is absolute garbage. Okay. Do not watch. Okay. Yep. Good to know. Yep. Good to know. I watch these movies, so you don't have to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that should be your like Twitter bio. Absolutely, I watch the movies so that you don't have to. That's it. That's yeah, the I, bio. I, yes, um, I watch the movies you don't want to. When I actually told Mum that we were going to cover this movie for the podcast, and she goes, "Why? That movie's too scary." I'm oh, like, Mum, Mum. Do you know what? I remember back in the day, Mum sitting my brother and I down to watch Carrie, and this is when we were young, young-ish, mm-hmm. not like super, super too young, but but not, mm. you know, and her telling us that this movie scared the shit out of her and it was the scariest movie she'd seen. And I remember poor mum, she was so disappointed when we weren't super scared. <laughs> um, like we were, a, I, I was a bit scared, but nowhere near what she expected. And yeah. it just made me think how horror has changed. Oh, yeah. And, yep. and also yeah. what kids get exposed to at a young age now is just, yeah. it's just a different mm-hmm. world. Um, so true. 
Hey all, it's me, Dean, back again, and I thought I'd let you know about my third and last pick for the films for our 31st episode. I have picked Scare Me, which is a Shudder original starring Aya Cash, who I absolutely love. And basically, it's the story of two writers in cabins, they're in one cabin, and during a power outage, they tell each other scary stories. And every review I have seen about this, or read about this, tells me it's something I want to watch. It's like a creepypasta. Well, I think it is anyway. I haven't seen it yet, but I feel like it's creepypasta and cabin and fireside tales all rolled into one into a horror film, and I can't wait to see it. That is, if you pick it, of course, as the film we're all going to watch for episode 31. So just head to potofthedams.com and make your vote. And vote for Scare Me, and let's try something new together. Anyway. Anyway. On to our, our last movie. So this was my pick. Um, this is a more recent uh, movie called The Invitation. Uh, I believe it's maybe only five or so years old. 2015. Oh, look at that. Almost bang on. Five or That's so. That's a good choice. Oh, bloody oath is it ever. Yeah. All right, Shuri, hit us with the idea. All righty. So it is. The Invitation. A man accepts an invitation to a dinner party hosted by his ex-wife, an unsettling affair that reopens old wounds and creates new tensions. Yeah. You know what I'm loving about psychological thrillers? I don't think any of them, because I've looked at the descriptions after the fact, and not one of them have been able to properly quantify what the film's about, and they, yeah. they also don't want to give anything away. So they really do just glide the top of a top of earth cappuccino, don't they? Like they, and it, also, it's, it's great. Like, a psychological film, by its nature, it's hard to summarise yeah. what it's about because it's deep It's deep and psychological. And But it's just know. funny with, with some of these other IMDb descriptions, they've been ridiculous and heavily oh, yeah. detailed. And like with this, it's just like exactly what mm. they should be. Now, this is the one you haven't seen, isn't it, Shory? No, I haven't seen this one. Okay. this. I mean, if you get a chance, Shory, this is a You great will really film. like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Really. Yep. I I I, th- I feel that this film uses so this is a f- film where the use of sound is, is really well done and also the Amazing. use of light and shadow so so light and dark in this film um, it's definitely the kind of film where you need to make sure you watch it at night or in a room with the blinds closed otherwise yep, you will not yep. see what the fuck is happening because <laughs> the there's a lot of dark it's so yeah, dark yeah. yeah there's a lot of dark in the film and you need to turn it up because there's a lot of people speak in in soft voices. Um, but this this film, it's one of those films right from the get-go, you feel a sense that things are not quite right. Um, yeah. A couple are on their way in the car to someone's place and already that they're talking about how they're a bit suspicious because it's really strange that they all haven't seen each other for like two years and then out of the blue they get this invitation to come to a dinner party. So already they're like, well, the guy in particular is like, this seems fucking It's crazy. weird. Um and you get a bit of um I guess it's a bit of an omen that on the way to the to the dinner party they hit uh, a wolf, I guess, or a coyote. It runs across the road and they hit yeah. it. Um and unfortunately, like it's it's kind of it's it's wounded. It's not it's not gonna survive, but it's still alive. So he has to kill it to put it out of its misery. Um, which becomes a bit of a a bit of a metaphor, I think, and just an omen for for the, the events of the evening. And so they're already kind of shaken up and feeling a bit yeah, weird yeah. by the time they get there. Get to the house. Um, yeah. And and you sort of, oh man. So as soon as I get to as soon as I get to the house, this woman who who is the the host, who who is the, the main character's ex-wife, and she's now yeah. with a new fella. So it's all very a bit awkward and weird. Um, Completely. Yeah. It's a group of friends coming together again, but there's been this breakup, so it's a bit weird now because she's married someone else, but she's still living in the same house that they lived in together when they were married. Yeah. So it's a bit weird right from the start, and she's right from the start, she's got this fucking weird culty vibe about, about, about her. She's in this long white dress, and she's overly happy and just smiley and it's just like like what are you so happy about it's really it's really bizarre um and we we discover through the course of the evening through a series of sort of flashbacks and just snippets of conversation that it's not just that they were married they had a child together and their child when he was i'm guessing maybe five or six 
died. So they have mm-hmm. shared a trauma together and hence, and then you're like, oh, okay, so this is weird. It's not just that they used to be together and it's the same house. They lost a child together yeah. and this is the house that that child lived in with them. Um, I think what's interesting as well, but it's only in little, it's dribs and drabs that that narrative comes through yes. and you're meeting all of the friends that are coming together. And it's quite, was quite also an interesting experience not just watching this in the dark, but watching this when we're all in lockdown and so mm. distant from one another. And you can imagine after a couple of years, having a dinner party with friends would seem really odd because you'd physically be in the same place. But Mm. these are friends that haven't connected. So at first it just Mm. seems really innocent. It just seems like, yeah, when you haven't seen your friends in a few years or from high school or whatever, sure. And the way in which it layers in all these different elements, Mm. like there's something about the child, the culty thing, you've hit the nail on the head straight away. They don't even shy away from it. They you immediately, you immediately like, this is a cult. We are yes. we are a part of a cult. Yeah, in every and, and, way, and they and do form. like they do quite literally quite early in the film. The couple reveal that they want to show them a video about something, and they're like, "Oh my god, is this like an induction video for some <laughs> cult?" And it, yes. it is. It basically and it is. is. It am I? But imagine if and that's the thing. Imagine if you're in a dinner party with friends that you haven't seen in ages, and this is going on. Imagine. Yeah. Yeah, and they, you know, and, like, and, on top and everyone's of that, trying to be nice about it and going, okay, we'll watch this. But yeah. this is all before the on top of it. The reason why I just want to, sorry, Em, the reason no, why no. I just wanted to jump in is because this is all before we realized there was a child and a death that yes. connected and all of this. So yes. it really feels like a creepy version of the big chill, you know, at the beginning, like a, a very creepy version of the big chill. And then when you start to go, oh my God, like yeah. there's a child. So you realize, this this relationship yep. that fell apart is because of this, and that's when you even start to realise that they're in the same house. They're they're, yeah. they're in the they're house. In the same house was, so what that means in. for him? Yeah. There's there's so much to it. But as it keeps on going, it's like, is it a cult or mm. is it in his mind? Like, well, it's, like they're not shying away from it all, but they really wrestle yeah. with it, don't they? And I think much like Split, it's a film that it keeps pulling back layers. So none of it is kind of served to you immediately like just as you are gradually coming to understand that actually this this couple are in a cult they're trying to portray it as like no 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 it's just like a group of people that come together to help each other (laughs) it's not a cult um you if they gradually like reveal and bit by bit you start to realize no 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 no, hang on this is a cult and at the same time very gradually bit by bit you're learning about the trauma that they've shared in the past so both of those things are ramping up at the same time and you're like okay this is a very strange situation and um, ramp is right like the music yeah, it jumps it from re- to, a really oh. high intense score to mm. little whispers and you're just like as it's as it's going and going and going you're kind of going you're right there with him. This is crazy. Mm. This is a problem. And then you're flipping mm. again to, no, it's a lot of it's in his head. His friends are trying to calm him down. Mm. My mind was jumping around like crazy. And can I say this film actually uses a psychological technique. It uses the technique of gaslighting very well. Because so well. A, a huge part of this film and what makes it tense and uncomfortable is the main character right from the start is is like, Something's not right. Something's weird here. And yeah. he discovers little bits and pieces of things that seem not right. And every time he tries to talk to someone about it and say, this seems weird, he gets gaslit. And people are like, yeah. you're overreacting because you've been through a trauma and this has just triggered you. Yeah. And and they keep doing that to uh, him. Yep. It's one of those films where all along you're, you want to scream at the other people like, how does no one else find this weird? How are you all just just like, tra-la-la, yes, I'll have another wine. How is this yeah. guy the only one that's like, this is fucked? Like even to the point that the induction video they showed them, they showed them a video of someone dying, right? At this point I'm like, how have you all not gone, I'm leaving? This is fucking weird. <laughs> and one of the characters does. Like one of the characters. One of the characters like, does leave. Um, and even then they're like, she's all yeah, she's always been a bit weird. I'm like, what? And then, okay, so here's the other thing. As I say, it's just And it got to it gets to a point of it where I I my mind was racing to try and figure out who's in the cult and who was not. And, and you do and you it. do find like, yourself going, is it works on you as an audience member, the gaslighting. You find yourself going, yeah. is he is he just yeah. paranoid? Is there actually anything going on? Because, like, he finds um, barbiturates in the the bedroom, and you know they 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 te- they have a way to explain everything away. Like one of the characters, one point 
goes, man, it's LA. Everyone's in a cult. It's not weird. Don't worry about it. And you're like, oh, well, I guess. And even the barbiturates, they're like, look, just because they have some pills to help them calm down doesn't mean they're taking them all at once. And you're like, oh, I guess maybe it isn't weird. Yeah. And even yeah. when they lock the lock all the doors, he's like, oh, there was a home invasion up the street and so we just lock all our doors now. And you're like, fuck, is this weird or is is it just? And, like, they even have, see, this is the thing for me as a guest, I'd be like, hang on a sec. There are two random people there that none of them know that they've, yeah. they've invited along who they met in Mexico when they went for their fucking retreat slash cult. And one of the guys, and I forget the name of this actor, but he's brilliant. He's so um, good. He's so good. I'll have to look up his name because you'll, you'll know him, Shuri, this actor. Mm. He, um, he, t- he tells stories so calmly. Just Oh, my God. Yes. Tells the story about um, he's reminiscing about his lovely wife who he loved and she was a ray of sunshine and just this incredible person. Just really calmly tells this story about how one night when he got really drunk, which he apparently had an issue with doing, um, essentially he he got too violent uh, when they had an argument and hit her as hard as she could and killed her. And yeah. oh. he just he just tells the story like it's, you know, and then he uses that as a way to explain but, you know, since I joined this group, I've been able to let go of the negative feelings Fair. of guilt yeah, yeah. and pain and move on and be happy. And I served my jail time and now everything's fine. And I'm like, get out. But also, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but because he's also physically this very, that he, he has this calm about his presentation, but he's physically such a overbearing individual like it's full on and it's twisting and turning and the games they're playing and a part of me is like i can see this happening if we're drunk doing something but then the responses that come of course it's strange and weird like it's just it's so uneasy and then it flips when um the guy's trying to figure out what's going on and you can bet you can't get any phone reception he goes oh there's a spot out here and he gets a message from one of the guests that hasn't shown up Yes. And, and, he, and it turns yeah. out he's like, oh, I'm, I'm here early. I don't want to drive back down the hill to get the dessert. Can you just get something? I hope you get this. And then we realised but they said he never came. Yes. Which means he was Ooh. here. And and I started screaming. Like mm. I was – I've, I've got Chris <laughs> sitting next to me. I know – like Chris That's what I heard the other day. Nodding, nodding along. I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Holy mm-hmm. crap. Like, I, I, it got me right to the edge in that mm-hmm. massive way. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And what happens then is he confronts everybody and he's like, what about this, what about this? And this whole time where it's like, calm down, nuts. calm down. Yeah. And then there's a knock at the door, there's whispering again, and the guy walks in. Yeah. And you're like, and he, holy and he, crap. And he says, oh, work called me at the last minute because they can't fucking do anything without me and I had to turn around and go back to work and then I came back. And it's, I think I love the way they do that in this film, the way they, they you think that it's happened, the turn has happened yeah. in the film and you're like, oh, finally, finally. And then you're like, what? No. And then this poor character, he actually is crying and just apologising and he he starts to believe like, I've just this lost is all it. Me. Because this is all me. And then, oh, my God, I was telling Elroy, okay, normally you would not be happy to see a scene in a movie where people start dying, but this is the way the tension is built. You're so relieved when this happens because you're like, finally, he was right. (laughs) We were right. Because they go to serve this wine, and it's not in a bottle. It's in a wine, a carafe. Uh, Is that what it's called? Decanter? A decanter, carafe, whatever. Cravat. No, cravats. No, that's That's whatever. We, we're yep. not fancy enough for such words. It's in a bottle that, that a it wasn't bottle. bought in. It, no but it's a bit, I think the, the point is bottle, it wasn't right? in it wasn't in the bottle it was bought in. It's clearly been tipped in into something people. else. Yeah. And it wasn't and, in a goon bag. And they're pouring everyone a, a glass of wine to do a toast. And he is suddenly, he, and this is after he's apologised, he suddenly, something in his head goes, nah, nah, I wasn't wrong. This fucking wine has got poison in it. And he goes crazy again when they're about to cheers and he tries to smash it out of everyone's hands. And what happens is he didn't quite smash it out of one person's hand quick enough. One of the people drinks it. Um, well, hang on. I mean, I no, feel no, like no, you're yeah. your- No, no, yeah. we, see, we see her drink it, but then... Um, Fuck, what 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 happened? What happened? So basically what happens, he's smashing it all out of the way yeah. and everything, and and his ex-wife starts having a go at him. Mm. You know, you've ruined everything and everyone's looking at him oh, like, no, what have that's you done, man? Right. Why are you so nuts? And he pushes her away and she whacks her. No, head. no, no, it's oh. not the ex-wife, it's that crazy it's woman. It's that oh, friend it's they have. Yes, woman. A friend oh, from the Mexico. Woman that's high this the is wonderful. Time. Yeah. This is oh, wonderful. No, I, having honestly, not seen this is wonderful no, listening to you too. It's amazing. 
And all the friends were like, oh, my God, she's not breathing. Something's not okay. What the but hell? Like, and, and no one seems to have, like, been concerned about the fact that just because the, that wine got spilt, she loses her shit and she's like, yes. you ruined everything, and she's aggressively physically attacking and she, him. And she's unconscious. Someone's trying to, they're calling 911. They're accident, trying to get reception. Right? That's, Some, de- a complete that's self-defense. Accident, complete accident. Like, so- and, and that's when it all turns when suddenly you also look over and the girl who had a drink is foaming from the mouth. She's foaming from the mouth and she's, like, collapsed. And that's the moment where as an audience you're like, I fucking Holy knew shit, it. He was right. <laughs> he was right. And then, at, like, literally from that point, that shit insane. That shit insane. Mm-hmm. Like, because shit started to fall apart, two people now, well, one person is dead. We d- we discover the friend who drank the wine is dead. The other person, we're not sure if they're dead or not because she hit the side of her head and there's blood everywhere. Um, at that point, I mean, I'm not going to go through one of the every, char- everything that happens. Well, in the film, we can't, but-, but basically, one of the characters is trying to help another, and everyone's setting the stage, and you just notice one of the characters creep off to the side, and yep. that's when it all starts going to hell. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the ones who's obviously in on it, like the guy who actually lives there, the new husband, essentially, I think it's him, or it's or it might be that the crazy guy who killed his wife comes out with a gun and just shoots. It's someone. the husband guy and yeah. shoots someone, and then it starts she shoots the going person from there. Yeah, who's trying the, to help the girl who was frothing at the mouth. And from yeah. there, we're off to the races. It's anarchy. And it's and it's friend, the friends realizing the friends realizing that they have been brought here to be killed. And it's not even that he is right. We get it's it's get the fuck out of the house. Do you but know what, the doors do you are locked, what? there are bars on the windows, they can't get out of the house. Yeah. And the only person who knows the way to oh, go. And conveniently, there's no reception at that house. There's no reception so at that house. They're in the hills. They yep. can't call anyone. And they're just running because because these people are killing Can I just say, like, them. you're so caught up at this point in him all along being gaslit and thinking there's something wrong and not knowing. I feel like I would be the kind of petty bitch at that point. I would stop everything and be like, no, 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 stop, stop, just for a second, just for a second, put the gun down, right. put the knife down. I was fucking right. <laughs> I'd just be like, oh, y'all, just stop. We can all kill each other in a minute, but... I want it to be known that I was fucking yeah. right. And that's how much this movie sucks you in. You just, you're just it like, really did. fucking yes. Yes. I mean, sad that people are dying, but yes, he was And it really right. is, it is so like, because, you know, some people are dying. It's some of the people who are trying to kill them. Some of the people who are not. We really, it just ramps up and keeps on moving, 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 moving until it's there's so not many good. of them left. And and it's brilliant the way the tension grows and builds and they have to defend themselves from these people and these characters that we've just sat with at dinner have to it's it's so fast and so intense and essentially yeah. what it gets to the final point where you know the only two people left are the characters that we were introduced to who are alive and the ex-wife who's dying in the kitchen and they just like what happened at the start with the animal they carry she mm-hmm. asked to be taken out to the stars and they carry her out to the stars and I I, I sorry I apologize and one of the other guests is also still alive mm, and yes. um and so there's only three of them left yeah. and they're standing outside just being like what the fuck <laughs> the and fuck you notice happened. that the lamp that was off before is now mm. an orange that mm. they're standing next to, and he just goes, oh, my God. Now, oh, my God, and they look out and because the orange lamp is a signifier that they've done it, obviously, mm. and you see in the hills there's, like, tons of orange lamps. orange lamps. The sirens yeah. start coming and helicopters, and basically this is something the cult have all done tonight. Yeah. And they've killed all of these people. But what kept killing me and chilling me is the fact that they only focus the shot on the two characters, even though there was a third a moment ago, mm-hmm. and they don't focus on him. And I kept waiting. This is the end of the film, by the way, but I kept waiting for him to kill one of them. Mm, oh, okay. like I was, I was so right. on this ride with it that I was like, mm. "Don't trust anyone. Don't trust anyone. Don't trust anyone." And I thought that he was going to kill himself or something. Do you but know what? It, was it is just, actually yeah, wow. it's an odd choice. Now that I think about it, for a horror movie, it's an odd choice to like because usually the people that survive, the people that are left alive, it's not it's it's not arbitrary. Like they pick yeah. those characters very deliberately, um, and usually at the end there's a moment for the survivors. So it's actually quite odd that there was a, a random like character it. who lived, yeah. but there wasn't really it wasn't really significant. There wasn't a moment for him. It kind of, I guess in some way it makes it just that little bit more realistic. You're like, exactly. this, this could have and that's, happened. That's exactly why I liked it. Like I think mm. it plays into the realism, but it also just plays yeah. into the fact that this 
movie the entire time has been playing with you. Like, I think that was mm. intentional to give elicit that feeling from me because mm. this it's you're constantly on edge this whole time in the film. Yep. Why should the ending? Because the ending isn't happy. Get, surviving isn't okay. No. And it's not like they're in a world now where everything's a mess. The, these people have done this and all these orange lights and all that you're hearing the sirens. Yep. It just means they've literally, the cult have done it and they've done a mass so suicide. It's and murder. John- Sorry, it's John Carroll Lynch. Oh, that's um. Oh, oh he's, he's the clown from American Horror Story. Yes, and yes. he's oh, also yeah, yeah, yeah and he his, is. Here's he's a right. deep cut for you. Here's a deep cut. Do you guys remember the Drew Carey show? Yeah, he played yeah. Drew's cross-dressing brother at the oh, time. Okay, wow. yeah, he's been yeah. in a ton of things, and he's actually been so in a lot things. of um horror stuff. So that's the guy Shuri that plays. The, the the guest that was part of the cult who talks about uh, how he killed his wife. Yeah, gotcha. So very kind he's of a big, brilliant imposing. Actor. He's very he good. Is, yeah, he's fantastic. He, um, he's also so in this, Zodiac. Yeah. yeah, I'm just seeing that. And he's in um Channel Zero. I don't know if anyone's watched that. Yeah, I haven't seen that. That's an amazing horror series. Um, yeah, he's in a lot of stuff. He's in a lot of stuff. But, but yes, yeah, so The Invitation, this was one of those random movies, honestly. I just stumbled across it on Netflix once. Sadly, it's not streaming anymore. You've got yeah, to rent it. Spewing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But just Fucking brilliant. Just a, a little gem. Really fantastic. Mm. It absolutely was. Like, such there a brilliant are, choice, Em. There are so many, and we're pr- getting to the end of this episode, but there are so many of these small, small budget, independent psychological yes. thrillers that are just, like, have either of you seen Creep? Yes. So no. Creep is a like a found footagey type movie of a guy who goes, I'm a serial killer and I want you to film me. And it's it is brilliant. It is so well made. Um I can't and, remember it right now, but yeah. I know I've seen it. I know yeah, and I've there's a sequel it. as well where it's just a, a a guy who hires somebody to come and film his life, but he's also a serial killer. Is and, Creep um, the oh no, there's Mark two Duplass. different there's two different movies called Creep. There's one from mm. 2004, which is awful. Um, <laughs> in my opinion, um, mm-hmm. uh, just I find that the one, the other one I find is oh, um, yeah. very gratuitous violence. Um, but yes, the 2014 one that is a great film. Agreed. It's really good. Great, great film. But yeah, I think it's it was a thing where because it's so easy to make a lot easier to make movies these days. So many of these small psychological thrillers get made by for small budgets, mm. and it's brilliant. And it's, they get just, lost it, though. Because yeah, that's the problem. There's so many, and I yeah, think this is what I love about the invitation. I mean, granted, the invitation like is is the the um, production quality is very high, mm, but I yeah. but I love a film that is set in just a single location. It's just in a house. Oh, same. Oh my it's, god. It's just yeah. It's brilliant. Mm. Yes. So, thank you for listening. Th- um, thank you all. We hope you've you've enjoyed the mind games. We certainly yeah. have. Oh, so much. And, and we brilliant. might be back tomorrow. Well, we will be back. We will be back tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not sorry. We will be back yeah. tomorrow. We're going to try to mess with our mind. Yeah, I know. <laughs> will we or won't we? Ooh. Uh, we'll see. We might, we might delay it by tomorrow. an hour. We normally bye tomorrow. Do to mess with people. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Shory. Uh, don't forget to vote in our 31st episode movie poll. Uh, my third movie is a little movie called Messiah of Evil, a weird uh, mind trip, slow burn horror about a woman uh, goes to a small town looking for her father. Uh, it's a it's a weird one. Um, it's definitely not for everybody, but I think the would be fun to watch, especially to see uh, Emma and Dean's reaction. So vote. Uh, thanks. See you tomorrow.